we pray. Amen. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, we read, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus, and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he... Lost my place. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Thank you for being here with us this morning, worshiping God with us together. Thank you for choosing to come here, or thank you to those who are worshiping with us online for choosing to click our website or our YouTube channel and worship with us. We are blessed greatly in Christ Jesus, and this just tells a little bit about the greatness that we have of blessings by being able to worship him. We are blessed to worship him. Blessed, blessed be to God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Today we begin a new series, and the series is the Building a New Year series, a series on the book of Ephesians. We're going to be looking to Ephesians verse by verse over the next several months. We're going to dig in, and today's sermon is going to be largely informational, an introduction to the book. We will get to the first two verses, yes, two verses, but first, a lot of information. So please bear with me if I read a lot from my notes. And if you need my notes later, if I speak too fast or if I don't have enough slides for you, feel free to email me and remind me and I'll try to get those to you. Today is going to be a much different tone than normal as we go over just a lot of details. You see, we're looking to Ephesians and God is making a new you. He's building a new you. You are new in Christ Jesus. But before we get too much into that, let's just talk about Ephesians in general. Ephesians is all about building up the body of Christ. It is bodybuilding at its finest. God is building a new you, a new we, a new us. I want you to think about those infomercials. Have you ever seen those infomercials? Maybe what I'm thinking of right now is the Bowflex machine. Those people who are already like perfectly fit, lifting weights and trying to make you think that you can look like this if you just pay $99.95 per month for the next two years and dedicate two hours a day, eat no carbs, which does not do good with me, no sugar. Some of you have to eat no sugar. Oh, that doesn't do good with me at all either. But think about those infomercials or ads between your favorite shows, your videos, ads for bodybuilding, for fitness products, for programs which advertise that they want to help you look your finest to look like maybe you were created to look like trying to sell you on all these benefits of losing weight of working out at the gym for hours and hours but wait there's more you don't need to go to the gym because these infomercials tell you you can do it all in your own home most of us put that bowflex in our dusty moldy dirty basement and then we never use it at all do we but think about these guys. I've been working out at the aquatic center lately. A guy in this church motivated me fin finally enough to actually get a membership and go and work out. But you see these guys who are totally not like me. 
I get there at 6 a.m., barely walking in the door because I'm not a morning guy at all because I, I generally am up late. I was up to 1.30 this morning just thinking about this message for you guys. And then I had to get up at 5.30. I was dragging, but that's my everyday occurrence. I, I, I don't go to sleep early. But then I see this guy pumping iron. It looks like he's already been there for an hour. And then he comes out, gets his drink of water. He's talking with his buddy. His buddy says, yeah, what time do you get here? Oh, I got here about 3.30. And he's a teacher. He needs to go to work in a few minutes and work all day. I'm thinking, how do you do this? But these guys, they get, these gals, they go to the gym before work, at lunch, after work, before bed. Each day they are working out their bodies because they want to get ripped. They want to look their finest. Now, why do I give you this big introduction? I give it to you because of this. I came across an illustration this week that just really clicked with me. If you want one word to help you remember a key idea of Ephesians, it is this word, bodybuilding. Ephesians is all about building up the body of Christ. Building up the body of Christ. Jesus wants to make us a new you. Jesus wants to make you into the best you. And Jesus is constantly working on helping you to become ripped. But you're becoming ripped in a different way. And you know what? You can do this at your home. And you know what? You can do this without that $99.95 debt per month for two years because it is something he freely gives to those who call out upon the name of Jesus and trust in him. You see, through Christ's work upon the cross, we are not just made new, but we are in a continual process of becoming who we are meant to be. We are justified through him and him alone, and we are sanctified, saved by grace through faith and becoming more like him daily. We are God's workmanship, and we are God's masterpiece. But this is a workmanship, this is a masterpiece that is continually in the progress of being made even better, even more like him, if you can even imagine such a thing. I can imagine such a thing because I know I am a terrible terrible man. And you might look up to me and think, what are you talking about? You're my pastor. You're up on the stage. Guess what? I'm a sinner just like you. And I let people down every week. People get upset at me. I get upset at others. I think impure bad thoughts too. I get angry. I get frustrated. And sometimes that gets the best of me. And I need to crawl back to God and say, Lord, forgive me. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you don't give up on me. Thank you that you are continually working on me and through me. We are God's workmanship, God's masterpiece in process. And he is continually helping to grow us in all parts of our life. You see, that gym, it's just working on your physical body. But the work of Christ helps us spiritually. And as we become spiritually right with him through Christ, it also helps us physically and mentally, emotionally. It helps us in all parts of our life. But we must remember what Christ is doing through us and to us. We must remember the great blessings that he gives us through Jesus. And there's a second part. We must remember the responsibilities that we have as Christians, as believers, united together in the church. These Ephesians that we're going to be looking to needed a reminder of who they are, who they were. And we too, as believers, often, and I underlined often three times, we often need reminded of who we are in Christ. Ephesians 2.10 in the ESV says we are his workmanship. 
I don't often use the New Living Translation. I know one man back there who I highly respect that loves his New Living Translation. In the New, in the new Living Translation, the NLT, Ephesians 2.10 says this. It says, we are God's masterpiece. I do like that word, Larry. Masterpiece. But don't let that get to your head too much. It says, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus. We're not his masterpiece because of what we're doing upon ourselves, upon our own works and actions. It is because he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he has planned for us. Let's look more to the book of Ephesians. You see, Ephesians has been known by many names. It has been referred to as the pinnacle of the New Testament. The church epistle, or epistle means letter. The Alps of the, Bi of the Bible, a high point. The Mount Whitney of the high Sierras of all scripture. The believer's bank. The Christian's checkbook. The treasure house of the Bible. A guide for spiritual health and maturity. And a survival manual for Christians. I don't know about you, but I think... I think often about how much I need this survival manual because it's hard living every day as a Christian. It's hard living in a world where they don't want to make choices and decisions according to God's word, and maybe they want to look down upon you because of how you are living, even though we know it is the righteous way to live, the right way to live. It's a favorite of many because it helps to equip believers to thrive in a world that hates the message of Jesus. And it builds up the body, just like building up the body while you're working out. This builds up the body, but differently because it changes our lives radically for the good and for him, for God's will and glory. Pastor J.D. Greer, I'm going to have a lot of quotes today. I don't have them on the screen, so again, feel free to email me. I'll email you, them to you. Pastor J.D. Greer once said, Paul the Apostle writes to encourage believers to live well as we've been lifted from the graveyard of sin. Isn't that an interesting thought? The graveyard of sin. Because yes, to live according to a sin-filled world's ways, according to your past and your sin-filled nature, leads to just a graveyard of death and eternal damnation in hell. But to live according to the life, the free life, the grace, the righteous ways of the Lord leads beyond the grave, to eternal life in him, hope with him, hope of a life in heaven. Let's read on. He says, Paul the apostle writes to encourage believers to live well as we've been lifted from the graveyard of sin and called to shout, shout the gospel into the darkened world. But if a believer in Christ fails to recognize the great privileges of their faith and the responsibilities which go along with their personal faith and the church, they will become spiritually malnourished. Malnourished. Have you ever seen those, those infomercials? Maybe I watch too much TV. <laughs> Have you ever seen those infomercials, though, and maybe been convicted where you're seeing these children in Africa around the world malnourished? It looks like their bodies are whittling away because they're not getting the food that they need to survive and to truly be fit. When you think about that, this word has some more power to it, doesn't it? We are spiritually malnourished when we're not seeing the great value of God's word, 
We're not, when we're not recognizing the great blessings and privileges and responsibilities that we have as Christians. Christians, that's all of us. We, me, you, us. We need a reminder that we must take advantage of the great storehouse of spiritual nourishment found in God's word. And we're going to be looking to the great riches of grace, God's grace found in Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 7 speaks of the riches of God's grace saying, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. I had to stop there. And ponder that for a moment when I heard that. Riches. Did you know of these riches? Have you ever sat and just pondered that, thought about that idea that you are rich? You are spiritually rich. You are wealthy in the Lord's grace. Ephesians 3.8 speaks of this riches, and, and he says unfathomable riches. If it wasn't for the Lord's guidance, the Lord's understanding upon us, the Lord giving us his word, this would just be unfathomable. It's still unfathomable for us to really understand how rich we truly are. But Ephesians 3.16 goes on to also speak of the riches of his glory. And this glory is available for us to understand. God is revealing his glory, his grace, these unfathomable riches to us through his word and through his Holy Spirit living within us, through the works of Christ, the works of God at the beginning of creation and before and through the end of time. We'll be with him for all of time. Our riches are based not upon our own doings, but on the grace of Christ. And Tim Keller, speaking of Ephesians, another one of those quotes, states this. This book is great, he says. It is doctrinally rich and comprehensive, but it's much shorter than Romans. I know of a pastor who's really well-known in the world today for both good and bad, and he's now preaching on the book of Romans, and he's been a pastor for 30 years. And he said, it took me 30 years to finally get up enough courage to preach on the book of Romans. There's just so much here. My brother Steve is preaching on the book of Romans right now, and I give him credit. He's been a pastor for... 15 years, approximately. But Tim Keller speaks of Ephesians saying, the book is great. It is doctrinally, doctrinally rich and comprehensive, but much shorter than Romans. He goes on to say, it's like a dream come true for those who come to appreciate the great wealth that it contains. Do you appreciate wealth? Do you dream of becoming rich? Well, let's look to God's word in Ephesians and see a different way of being rich, of being wealthy. Let's be reminded of how rich we truly are as believers and followers in Christ. Ephesians is a very balanced book. It has six chapters, six chapters, divided into two equal parts, three chapters each. And the first half builds up, it lifts up, it encourages the reader with the blessings and privileges of the Christian. The second half teaches the responsibilities of Christians and the church together. We're united together by God's grace, by God's glory, by all these blessings and privileges. And then we have responsibilities together to act like the church and to fulfill his will. John MacArthur says of Ephesians, and I believe this is my last quote before we get into verse one and two. Ephesians was written to build up weak Christians. Don't take that as an insult. I believe I'm myself, I am a weak Christian. We are all weak Christians because we can all be stronger. We all should 
be stronger. We all should dream of being more knowledgeable of his word, which reminds us not to sin, reminds us what sin truly is. I have hidden my, your word in my heart that I might not sin against thee, Psalm 119.11 says. John MacArthur says, written to build up weak Christians who might be prone to mistreat their great spiritual resources, not recognizing the great and valuable resource they have been given by him. As you can see through this series, we're going to be getting quite deep into our riches, into our wealth. We're going to see how we are spiritually rich because of God's grace. We see in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 that we are saved by grace through faith. And Ephesians 4, 1 reminds us, in light of this great wealth which you've received, strength and newfound life, it says, we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling we have received. Enough intro. Let's get to the verses. Verse 1 to 2, we read this. If you have your Bibles open, we're in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 to 2. It is on the screen as well, though. Ephesians 1 and 2, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We learn right away about this Ephesians book that it is a letter that Paul is writing to the people of Ephesus. Now, I'll speak more about this in a moment, but notice again, it is Paul writing, who is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Who is he writing to? He's writing to the saints who are in Ephesus. And are, who are these saints? They are faithful in Christ Jesus. And then he ends this, this just little short salutation, short little intro by saying, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some people have argued before we move forward that Paul may not be the author of this book. And this is largely disputed, but I feel like I should at least tell you there is that dispute out there. There's that dis debate. I believe as most modern um, biblical scholars that Paul is the author. It says right here, Paul, an author of Christ Jesus. It speaks of where Paul is. It speaks throughout the book of where Paul has been, what he has learned. It speaks of him being in prison, writing these things to him. Later on, it mentions Paul again later in the book. But why do people debate this? Why is this dispute there? It's because this salutation is much shorter and more condensed than what maybe you're seeing in some of his other writings. Not just that, it's much more generalized, the book of Ephesians. It doesn't talk a lot about his personal encounters with the Ephesians. Some also believe that this letter might be more generalized or might be a shorter salutation because it wasn't just for Ephesus. They believe, as I do, that this letter was wrote to Ephesus. Ephesus is going to receive this note, this letter first, but then it might have been circulated around the city and around the, the area, around the Asia cities and towns and people. Others believe, and this is a great thought as well, that Paul purposely wrote this message with a more general tone as God willed that all the church for all the ages would be able to see the great truth within this message. It wasn't wrote just for one town, just for one people. God willed us all, just like all of his word, to be able to learn from this. Paul writes a letter. But who is this Paul? Many of you look to me and you're already thinking, I know about Paul. Do we need to talk about Paul again? Well, 
I love the life of Paul. So you're going to hear about Paul again because I think that some of us, even if you know who he is, might, might be blessed by having a reminder about his past, his present, and his future. Some of you might be newer to this church and, and getting back into the Word of God, or maybe you've never even opened the Bible. Maybe you're at home and this first time you're tuning in, and you need to know who Paul is. So we're going to start with Paul. Paul is writing this letter, this, this epistle, this book, so we're going to look to Paul. We're actually focusing on three things for the rest of this message. We're focusing on verse 1 and 2. Paul, Ephesus, and us. We start with Paul as we learn from this when we read, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, and by the will of God. We see dual authorship. Dual authorship. You see, Paul has this dual authority in the authorship of this message. Dual authority is, number one, he is an apostle of Christ Jesus. It says, an apostle of Christ Jesus and by the will of God. What does it mean to be an apostle? To be an apostle means that Jesus Christ here has sent him. Paul has been sent to preach, to teach, to pray. He would work miracles and build others up within the church in the body. And obviously, he would also write the word of God as God inspired him to. But number two, we also see the dual authority. Again, he had dual authority, having one been sent by Jesus, and number two, God the Father's will. This is amazing to me, to think that Paul had dual authority by both Jesus and the will of God. And there's great application here for us, but we're going to save the us for just a few more minutes when we wrap up. But I want to talk about Paul here. Why is this amazing? that Paul is an apostle by Jesus and according to the will of God. Here's why. First of all, he is not elected by popular vote. He did not just wake up one day and think to himself, huh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a switch here. I'm going to betray these religious leaders of the days, the Sanhedrin and the people who I, I'm enforcing their laws, and I'm going to become an apostle of Jesus. No, he didn't just wake up one day and decide, I'm doing this. He didn't make his own choice up. He also was not elected by a popular vote. The general public did not elect him to do this. Here's, here's why it's so amazing. God did. Jesus Christ came to Paul in glory, in a glorious revelation, and was seen by Paul and made him into a new man. It was all by the will of God, by Jesus Christ and the will of God you see, this man, a man like Paul, a man who is persecuting Christians, torturing them, dragging them out of their homes and driving them out of their towns, stoning them, sentencing them to death. I'm going to reference a few of these scriptures, but we don't have time to read them all. But this is Paul. Jesus chooses, despite Paul's past, when he was known as Saul, to not look away from Paul, to not condemn Paul, but to look to Paul and to convert him, to save him, and to use him for the Father's will. Paul has the authority of an apostle of Jesus Christ in the will of God, and God's going to use him. We see Saul, Paul, first in Scripture in Acts 7.58, if you want to write that down to look to later. Acts 7.58, where he's watching, he's watching the garments at his feet of the people who are stoning God's servant Stephen. God's servant Stephen was proclaiming God, proclaiming Christ, 
working wonderful works for God and his kingdom, proclaiming Christ. And these people from the town, probably these religious leaders, throw their garments at Paul's feet, at Saul's feet at that time. And Saul watches as the servant of Christ is being stoned. Paul would later approve of Stephen's execution and persecute the church even further. But even after Paul saw doing all these things, we see that this man, Paul, was not too far gone for Jesus and the will of God to call an apostle, to be sent for God's will and set apart as a saint. A saint. Set apart as a saint. That's what saint means. Being set apart by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and being part of a new network of believers, the church body. Paul would be part of and serve God and his kingdom. In 1 Timothy 1, 13 and 15, we see that Paul considered himself the foremost of sinners. And yet, even though he considered himself the foremost of sinners, and here's a pretty evil man. In Romans eleven thirteen, he would be known as the apostle to the Gentiles. He would be sent by God to serve his church, his people, and to proclaim his glory. And he would go on to write, write this down about Paul. He would write, almost half of the New Testament books. 13 books of the Bible. And in Acts 9, you can read of his conversion on the road to Damascus, the day when Jesus appeared in glory to him alone. This man, previously known as Saul, and the persecutor of God's people in the church would become Paul, an author of Ephesians, of this letter, this book today. So now we, we transition to Ephesus. I said we're talking about Paul, Ephesus, and us, and the rest will be much faster Let's look to who Paul is writing to. Paul is writing to the city of Ephesus. The city of Ephesus at the time most believed to be the fourth or fifth largest city in the world. It was known as a gateway to Asia. And one author, one pastor said it would be a gateway for the gospel, which Paul would use to make new believers. It would be a new movement. It had a large group of new and growing believers, but just like our world today, which this church has many believers, this community has many believers, this country has many believers, but there are still many unbelievers. And Ephesus was full of unbelievers. It was full of idol worship, of people worshiping false gods, of people worshiping and partaking in evil worldly Ways. There is actually, if you do any research on the city of Ephesus, there's actually a stone still with footprints in it. I believe it's footprints coming into Ephesus, which shows the way to... I'm thinking about the word to... Dis, to a house of women. I'll put it that way. Bothel, bothel. I can't say the word. I think you're following me, adults. This city had many evil ways. You can see by the Temple of Diana. Again, Google the city of Ephesus and look to the ruins that remain. There's still many ruins. And one of these things was the great Temple of Diana. One of the other ruins is the great stadium. Because people came to worship false gods and acts of man. The temple was so magnificent that it would be known as one of the seven wonders of the world. The stadium was so large and just such an amazing feat of the day. If you look at a picture of this, it would seat 25,000 people. That may not sound like all that much today. When I think Lambeau Field seats 78,000 people or something like that, I'll get corrected later. But 
That is amazing for 2,000 years, years ago. And it's still standing largely today for you to see. Ephesus was home to many spiritually impoverished men and women, many non-believers, but there's also this fraction of new believers which Paul knew because Paul had spent time in Ephesus several times. And on his third journey, his third missionary journey, he spent three years here teaching and preaching in the synagogues, in the streets, in the homes, making disciples. He knew there were many new believers who needed reminded of the blessings and privileges and blessings they had of being a Christian. They also needed to be reminded of the responsibilities they had to stand up, unite together as believers, and proclaim the gospel for this town to hear, for this world to hear. I think about ourselves, and I think we too need these reminders. How much different would the world be if every single day we were, we were looking for these opportunities for gospel conversations and to proclaim all that Christ has done in our lives? These believers were wealthy beyond measure by their faith. But as one pastor said, they were living as beggars, do not, not truly recognizing the great wealth they had within them. I found a story this week by a Los Angeles Times from a while back, and it's a great illustration. It says that there was an elderly couple who were found dead in their apartments. Pastor, that's a great story. You're telling a story about an elderly couple found dead. Listen to the what it speaks of. This elderly couple was found dead in their apartments and autopsies were performed on their bodies to found, find out how they died. The autopsies came back and they found they died due to malnourishment. Remember talking about malnourishment? Here's the punchline. Detectives later found $40,000 hidden in their closet. They had more than enough money to buy the food they needed, the drink they needed to be nourished. But just like us today, sometimes we need reminded of where that wealth can be found, and we need shown how to use the great wealth that we have. Paul writes the people of Ephesus to show them where to find the wealth that they have and to tell them how to use it. He reminds them of the great blessings they have, and he also tells them of the responsibilities they have. We now come to us. You see, like Paul, Jesus has made us new. We are God's workmanship. We are his masterpieces in progress. And God wants to use us to do his will, just like Paul. No matter how bad your past is, no matter how bad your present is, for any reason, we need to continue to look to the great wealth that we have, the blessings that we have, by grace and faith. And as new saints, let us remember our responsibilities. Let us not be so fast to forget that all Christ has done for us, continues to do for us, and wants to do through us. You see, the people of Ephesus needed a reminder, and I think so often we too need reminders. I need reminders every single day of how great God is. I think you do too. That's why we dig into God's word every day. That's why we sing spiritual songs to ourselves and to one another and to the Lord. We need reminded of how great God is, and we need to remember that we have a responsibility. Just like Paul, God wants to make you new. God wants to continue working in you and through you. But we need to remind ourselves, and we need to remind others what this means. We are in Christ, and we also live in a city, a town, an area like Ephesus. Just how Ephesus had many evil ways, idol worshipers, people seeking their own ways in the world, ways before God's ways, that's happening around us. And we have a responsibility 
to live how God wants us to live, to reflect the hope and the love of Jesus that we have within us. If this letter was addressed to you today, would you be one of the ones included in Paul's salutation, addressing them as saints who are faithful in Jesus? Because if so, you need to see the words to follow. If you're not, then you need to make a decision now to truly follow him to begin with as Lord and Savior. We read now to what Paul will speak to the saints throughout this letter as we start to wrap up here. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll say it again. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes we need to slow down and really think about what we're reading. Don't read it so fast that we just skim right over it and move on to the next thing. Grace. Grace to you. Paul says grace to you as he's writing to these people who he says saints of Christ Jesus, those who are faithful in Jesus. He's praying upon them. He's saying to them grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. This is a great salutation. It's a salutation that we should be encouraged, really, to give to one another. When was the last time you walked up to somebody and just greeted them in a way like this? Most of us would say never. Grace to you, Rick. Peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you, Tim. And peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Ken back there, I am grateful to see you. May God show you his grace and peace. May you find these things from God our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, people, this wasn't just some simple hello. There are meaning behind these words. Paul is, number one, stating, again, his authority is not from himself. These words are not from himself. What he's about to speak is a dual authority from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But number two, Paul is, Paul is reminding them here and will continue on through this book to remind them, all the believers, all the saints, all those who are faithful to him, verse 1 says, that they may have great blessings, grace, and peace. Such reasons to rejoice. We have such reason to rejoice. But we need a reminder to rejoice. And we see the reminder here. And maybe there's somebody in your life who needs that reminder to rejoice. Maybe there's somebody in your life that you need to pray these words to. You need to say these words to. May you receive grace and peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. May you look to him in your words. May you see all that he has done for you. All he continually does for you and through you. We have grace and peace. And we have a grace and peace peace which God mercifully, freely continues to give, continues to give. And it's not by our might, it's not, it's not by us, it's by him. Rejoice, people. Praise the Lord. Who do you need to write a salutation like this to? In this series, we're going to be looking to see the great wealth we have as believers. We're going to be seeing how God is building a new you. You are already made new in him, but God continues to sanctify you, continue to make you more and more like his son, Jesus. God doesn't want you to see you living according to the world's ways. God wants to continually see you, when he looks down upon you in your life, see you looking more and like Jesus in his ways. But are we ready to bulk up? Are we ready to step up? Are we ready to run up to the task that God has given us? Because it is a task. 
We have a choice. Will we step up? Will we look to God's word together? Join with me as we look to God's word together and we, as we remember that we, like Paul, Paul speaks to us. Paul speaks to the Ephesians, actually, but we can see in his word, too, we are saints. And saints does not mean we're all high and mighty. You know, we can be saints and not act saintly 100% of the time with the stereotypical thinking of saints. We struggle, we sin, but we can still remain faithful to him and he will continue to work a greatness within us. Continue making us his workmanship, his masterpiece. Remain faithful. Remember you are a saint. And what does it mean to be a saint? You are set apart by faith in him. You're a part of a new network of believers. You're part of the church and we can unite together around our great blessings and privileges that we have as Christians and responsibilities that we have as calling uh, ourselves his own. Be who God wants us to be. Stop looking at who the world sees you as and look to who God sees you as. Be that person. Be the saint that he wants you to be. Remain faithful in him. Live in a way worthy of your calling, as Ephesians tells us. Be set apart by the hope within us. Proclaim the Lord with your life. Remember the great wealth and riches that you have of his grace and of his glory. You see, each of us probably remembers that day when we came to know the Lord, we came to trust the Lord, your testimony, your story, your conversion story. But remember also the great blessings which came upon you that day and each and every single day. Remember how Jesus has saved you and proclaim this for the world to hear. Proclaim these things to one another and be united by the common calling, grace, hope, and peace which we have. Let's close in prayer and then we'll have a song. Lord, we thank you for you are great and mighty and you are our Lord and our Savior. Lord, we pray today. May you continue to work a greatness in us. Thank you, Lord, for making us new. Thank you, Lord, for continuing to show us your grace. And Lord, may we look forward to being built up by you to look more like your son Jesus every day. Thank you for never giving up on us. And may we proclaim of your greatness now, tomorrow, and every day until we're in your presence forevermore. And then we'll still sing of your greatness. But it will be for you only, for you to hear all of your saints rising up in one voice, worshiping you, worshiping you. May we worship you now. Amen. Please stand.